Hey, ladies and gentlemen, it is not Veteran Lucas. It is Professor Collins and Fisherman Don. Yeah, where is Lucas today, anyway? I I don't remember. I think he's working or something like that. Uh, we are really excited. Welcome to the Science of Pokemon, Poke Science. If you've not paid attention, this is the show where we discuss real-world sciences and the intersection of our beloved franchise. I am one of your hosts, Professor Collins. With me today is Fisherman Don. Uh, not with us today is, <laughs> is veteran Lucas. Uh, so this is going to be fun. We're going to apparently go off the rails the entire episode, and we're going to talk about engineering. Yeah, um, I don't know a whole lot about engineering, to be perfectly honest. Um, Nor do I. <laughs> I. I live near a, a famous bridge, the Skyway Bridge, that collapsed due to... It's not really engineering because the boat hit it, but that's the first <laughs> thing I thought of. Um, it was actually really sad. A lot of people died. It was a while ago. But, oh, um, well, that's not funny then. No, it's not. But there's a documentary coming out, and I think it's interesting, so watch it. Well, all I know is that America's uh, bridges... I think I think we have like we have like a... Was it like a D rating for infrastructure? Yeah, our right now? infrastructure is terrible in a lot of places. Like I said, this one, I think a container ship hit it, so like different scenario. But I did just see a of uh, a, um, a clip the other day of a, a it was a news clip. A truck had a, a, a tra- trailer had driven over a hundred year bridge and it collapsed as the truck was like reaching the other cliff. Oh yeah, that's a uh, bad. I think. I think that's the extent of my engineering knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> so cue the music. This will be fun. All right. So we are joined by the wonderful Alex Underhill. And Alex Underhill, you are one of the hosts of... Actually, you know, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah. So, hey, guys. Alex Underhill here. I'm uh, a co-host of the Hypervoice Pokemon VGC podcast with my good friend Steven Morioka. And uh, I'm here to talk about some all kinds of Pokemon stuff. Yeah. So you are, are actually an electrical engineer uh, by trade, but you're a, you are a competitive Pokemon player. So first off, what got you into Pokemon? Uh, so I've always been into the Pokemon games, played them a lot growing up. And uh, at some point around like 2010 in the black and white era, started to get more interested in competitive Pokemon from there, played a bit of singles and eventually came upon the VGC circuit, which was just a cool way to attend tournaments in real life. And so from there uh, I started playing in 2014 and uh, to this day, I've just exclusively been playing VGC. Yeah. Are you, are you enjoying the format this year? Uh, this year it's been okay. Um, I think that some have been better than others. Uh, I'm also just a big fan of, Moon series mostly because of my own personal success. So I know uh, <laughs> not a lot of a lot of people liked that one. That was probably the least favorite one. Uh, and honestly, I don't think it was that great. It was just a fun time for me because I found a team I really liked. Other than that, I do think that all the formats have just been okay. Nothing, nothing amazing. Just feels like hard to cover everything. Yeah, especially well, with how like how the turnaround time with the whole like three season thing. Mm-hmm. It felt like every time you got really settled in with one of the formats, you just uh, <laughs> scrap what you had. Yeah. and It's like that episode of Futurama when they're in an insane asylum. Every time you finally get down to eat, change places! <laughs> You're all like shifting around and it's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, 
the, just because of the nature of Pokemon wanting to make their newest introductions viable, whether it's the Tapus or Z moves or the new legendaries, what have you. Uh, it's just made so many more Pokemon viable that it's just kind of crazy covering everything. Yeah. Well, that's why, and, and we've talked about this. My my kiddo, my five year old, likes to play, and we did Moon and Sun. And then when uh, Ultra started, it was so crazy complex and just so much going on. She was like, "I'm done." Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, "I can't do this. This is too much." Yep. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, all right. So we, yeah. Uh, next question, though, I do want to know. So you you are electrical engineer by trade. So what got you into that then? Uh, so it started. Uh, I was your typical college freshman with just no idea what you wanted to do. I just knew that I uh, very much liked video games. And so I was like, well, what majors can get me into that? And I thought, (laughs) hey, uh, electrical engineering. Turns out I was wrong. It was probably computer science, but I'm where I'm at today. Uh, It was kind of too late to back out by the time I realized that. So, um, yeah, uh, it's just okay. Electrical engineering is all right. Um, I'm hoping that someday I could land myself some kind of like video game hardware gig because that's about the most you can do as an electrical engineer in terms of the video game industry. So that's just kind of the ideal. Well, uh, you know, I, I, it's never too late. I, I, I did just read today about a uh, Cleveland doctor uh, who is like 49 and just became a doctor after being like a mechanic for like 25 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's never, it's never too late if you really want to do it. I'm just putting it out there. I believe in you. All right. <laughs> you could do it. Appreciate that. 50, 52 years old, going back to school for video game design. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just um, going to, so yeah, I'll just roll with it. See what happens. Yeah. Wait till college is free. Uh, mm-hmm. So I do want to, yeah, I do want to ask you though. Uh, so for our listeners, what exactly uh, does an electrical engineer do? So. From my experience, it's a wide variety of things, and um, I think most electrical engineers will tell you that it's nothing like what you do in school. So uh, you'll learn most everything you need to learn on the job, um, whether they teach you or just kind of throw you into things is another thing. I was uh, in it, I got to experience just being thrown into things and expected to kind of learn them on my own, pick things up. So um, yeah, what I what I do is I do um, just electrical design for uh oil and gas sites which is less than ideal it's just it's a job right now i um and yeah basically i wire up the different systems um and everything within these sites different like you know so that we can move gas from point a gas and oil from point a to point b and control all those systems basically okay okay cool so I mean, as a broad field, then what what are some like important things that, you know, like electrical engineers do that that impact our daily lives? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, technology is, is uh, quite a prevalent thing. We're all recording on, you know, microphones and laptops and what have you. And um, it's cool because electrical engineering is a wide enough field that you can vary from uh, being the people that put together these devices that we're recording on, um, or you could be the people designing the helping design the software behind it. I know that's a little more computer engineering or more like uh, computer science, but there's also like, uh, for example, I don't actually do anything hands-on. I just do a lot of design drawing uh, circuits and such and uh, doing all the math behind that. There's like, there's just a lot of different ways that you can do it. So it's kind of cool. And uh, 
yeah, obviously just very important because, um, like I mentioned, just technology is so prevalent and uh, engineers are the ones leading that. Okay, okay, fair enough. Well, I do have some Pokemon questions here, so without further ado, let's we'll go right there. All right, time for the fun stuff. Okay, so we have a few questions I'd like to ask you because... I do not know much about any of this stuff. I actually, I'm not gonna lie. My uh, my my birth father actually was an electric engin- electrical engineer, and I know nothing. <laughs> Don't worry, I know nothing too, oh. even though I am. <laughs> not like the joke. We, none of us know our jobs until like you know, we just pretend. Yeah, everybody's. It's just like adulting. Yeah, everybody is just out there pretending. Oh, I 100% make up what I do every day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I got a few questions here. Uh, so I, I first want to know, um, so like how do g- the game systems, how do they communicate with each other? You know, um, and h- how have they previously communicated with each other? And like, how is that going to change with the switch? Yeah. So it's going to be fun to see how things will be different on the switch because right now the 3DSs they communicate via infrared communication uh, and uh, one way to think about it is uh, the so on the 3ds on the back of it essentially uh, between the L and the R or the ZL and ZR buttons is a infrared sensor. Uh, one way to think of it is it's sending out this beam, almost like a red laser that you would see in like a cartoon spy movie or something. And uh, those two beams want to meet up with each other uh, so that the two systems can sense one another and then communicate via that. However, the Switch, it does have an IR sensor, but it's not in the most convenient spot uh, for communication with another Switch. The IR sensor is on the bottom of the, I believe, right Joy-Con. Um, <laughs> it's so you, you. Oh damn! Yeah, that's ridiculous. You guys might have seen it. Uh, uh, and the. Oh yeah, yeah, it's that little black yeah, part, yeah. right? So that's the IR sensor, and uh, <laughs> it's not used for much. Uh, if you guys own the game One Two Switch, have actually seen it used for that uh, to. Okay. Uh, for one of the mini games that it has in that. And uh, yeah, other than that, the Switch doesn't really have any kind of IR sensor. So uh, one of the other ways that uh, 3DSs connect uh, is local wireless. And I remember doing this back in the 2014, 2015, maybe early 2016 days, where uh, it was before the days of sun and moon were t- tournament organizers organizers could set up their own tournaments, you know, even for premier challenge, something as small as that, the tournament software used to right. be locked uh, only for regionals and up and like the major tournaments. Uh, but they made it so that you could use that at lower level tournaments, like premier challenges. However, before that point, uh, they just had you sit across from each other and then you just had to use the PSS, the, what was that player? Something? Oh, player search Maybe system. Maybe search system. I don't know. I'm I'm replaying Y right now, so I don't know. Yeah. The something, yeah. So the bottom screen there, uh, you had to use that, and then you would yeah. find the other player's icon. It was always a funny game, and uh, not great for the large level, but decent enough for the small level. For example, like my locals had more than one person named Alex, and so uh, if uh, even though my name was Lexicon in game, uh, if somebody didn't know who I was, they would say hey, are you Alex? Because they see the match slip, they see the pairings, and they say, I'm playing against Alex. And they look in this list of players and say, are you Alex? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm I'm Lexicon. And so um, if we were to implement a system like this in the future on the Switch, it wouldn't work great for these larger tournaments where a lot of people might just put their real-life name, people share names. 
how does that like communicate that like because it's not infrared so what's going on so it's a local wireless um which is basically your system is broadcasting a signal that the other uh 3ds's are able to pick on pick up on in the area it's kind of like bluetooth uh close yeah close to bluetooth i would say uh and so it broadcasts this signal and uh from there the systems are able to pair up and essentially do the a similar thing to what they uh do when you connect via infrared after they have connected Uh, and so they send the data to one another um and yeah the only the main difference there is how you're able to find your opponent whereas uh infrared is much easier because you just line up the ds's with the person across from you it's much harder to confuse that for that to go wrong for you to be playing against the wrong person or what have you uh so so like would the analogy be like infrared is like using a cell phone and wireless would be more like using a walkie-talkie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where you can connect to all kinds of different people, uh, and that's not ideal. Okay. <laughs> um, but going- no, neighbor Joe down the street. <laughs> yeah, or like I just remember, uh, <laughs> like going on the plane with my 3ds, uh, going to Worlds in 2016, and I uh, was just going to do something in game on the plane, and I opened it up, and somebody else was actually on the plane, and you could see them on the PSS down there, which was kind of funny. But going forward, looking towards the Switch, uh, local wireless is, again, it's okay for local tournaments at best or premier challenges and mid-seasons, and it's very much not ideal for uh, regionals or larger events. So I don't know what what the main game plan there is. Well, I, I do have a question, and maybe you might know the answer. So our house, because we just took in a third kid, mm-hmm. uh, we, we are going to get a second Switch this year. And we were looking at the Switch Lite, and I noticed that like you can essentially be playing on the same game if you're in the same room. So is that just through wireless? Yeah, yeah the same kind of system there, local wireless, and that's what... I... But it's harder... It's harder to yeah, control. Yeah, yeah. So the the systems are able to find each other. It's just, um, and that works fine when you're playing, you know, four people playing Mario Kart. However, if you have a room full of two hundred yeah. people all sitting at the, you know, and then you have like twenty all at a table, and then twenty at the next table, and they're all just so close to each other, there's going to be a lot of interference, a lot of uh, miscommunications, and so that's going to be a bit of a bit of a hassle. Is, is there any way to like? use the infrared to like connect first and then switch to I don't yeah I'm sorry I got weird questions no so uh maybe maybe there's a chance that uh we could like lay down the right joy-con and line them up with the other switch or maybe you'd leave it mounted on the switch and you connect via infrared you line up those and then from there the systems are now communicating with each other they're now talking to each other they now have the system IDs to uh find each other and then they can send data to each other that way okay okay cool so we we have no idea it might be a mess for competitive play going forward (laughs) yeah i'm really hoping that they make some kind of tournament software where uh the systems (laughs) like you like your normal uh regional and right now or any event really where you connect to the tournament however in this case what it does is it connects all the switches to maybe some kind of host switch or host device and then pairs the systems through that. It's like almost like a server. Uh, and yeah. So kind of like how we used to do with like super smash back in the day, you all like put your name in there and it just like yeah. brackets you. Yeah. Something like that. 
Okay. Okay. Um, so interesting. So can I ask you then, um, so like the information then, how does it transfer then like over the internet then so I can communicate with friends in Japan? Like, cause I, I love wonder trade. I'm not going to lie. I've gotten some really cool stuff. Oh yeah. Wonder trade's cool. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, you get like Badoof 90% of the time, but every now and then you're like, whoa, a, uh, what was it? I got a, um, a Nobunaga Rayquaza one time. <laughs> oh, oh, like yeah. from the game? Yeah. Someone mm. sent it over. Like they had gotten the event one and sent it over. Yeah. It's a really like rare, hard to come by game. Uh, Nobunaga's ambition. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I know, and I, I thought that was amazing. But like, so how does that how does that communication work? Because that's just I don't know. It amazes me continuously. Yeah. So the way that uh, systems basically this is uh, beyond just uh, DSs in general. Just systems how they work with the uh, internet is that they send data to um, basically like a server. They um, they send these like in like packets packets of uh, bits and bytes or what have you and uh the information that you're sending so uh for pokemon they probably just send out the data for the individual pokemon that you're putting into like wonder trade or uh you know maybe it'll broadcast that you're searching for a battle on battle spot and then once you guys actually link up and communicate it will send out the information for your individual turn kind of interesting because Pokemon is such a uh, limited interaction game, so it doesn't need to be constantly streaming data, which is kind of fun, kind of interesting, and uh, why you'll see those like long buffers uh, when you finally input a move or something like that, because uh, it doesn't need to output a constant signal. Um, so it's kind of like AC versus DC. Uh-huh. Yeah, a little bit like that. Exactly. And uh, you're getting the... Uh, you're like It's like they send it... As opposed to something that's like more like real time, like a shooter, it's like you're getting like both sides get like a burst of the other side's like info kind of between turns. Yeah, yeah, it's like okay, we don't need this live because uh, games like shooters will be doing that just all the time, and that's what's kind of measured in your ping, and it'll tell you how right, right, how quickly it's able to communicate to the server, uh, because that's where all the uh, like it's interesting because all the computations and stuff are done on your system and then it's just guessing and when you have uh, a high ping uh that's when things start to look weird where you know maybe you shot somebody but the bullets didn't register or the person just teleported around and that's when you have a a long time between uh the data reaching your system based on uh what actually happened uh in real life or whatever uh, in, in the game. And so systems do a lot of guessing where they will, uh, if a person's just, you know, moving to the right, then all of a sudden starts moving to the left. Uh, your game, if it's, you know, really behind, it might just keep showing that person moving to the right, predicting their path. But if they ended up mixing it up and you have a high latency, high ping, then you won't see that until your system actually connects and gets the data from the server, from the other person. Okay. Gotcha. Huh. So I I, I understood like a third of that. All I know is that in Ohio, we have garbage internet and I can never so play it's, it's online games the, against people uh, well, in Korea. Uh, just in general, uh, information is sent uh, at 
even though it is very fast, it's sent at the speed of light. Uh, the speed of light is not uh, instantaneous. It's it's very close to that, but uh, it still has to take time to go from one place to the next. Um, the way that like you know cables work is, uh, uh, or at least most cables these days, is they send. Uh, flickers of light so like it'll just like imagine like a strobe light uh going very rapidly very fast and each time that it's uh lit up or not lit is a example of like you know binary it's sending a bunch of bits bits zeros and ones and ones and then while that does go very fast uh it's harder for uh it to find a ideal route because uh, it's got to hop from server to server to server. There's never a direct connection from you know a place like Ohio to somewhere in Korea. Uh, so it's going to have to travel to you know a server in Boston, and then from Boston to you know somewhere in Europe, and then from there uh, hopping across Europe until it's able to reach Asia, and then maybe Korea. And it has to transfer over all these different servers. And if it ever gets caught up on one server, because there's a lot of traffic on that server, um, then it's going to have uh, issues getting the data. And that's when you see that high latency uh, where, you know, something's happening in my game, but it, it didn't actually happen. We, you see, you get a lot of lag and that's what, why it's not great to play with people that are very far out of your region. Got it. Okay. Okay. So uh, we wouldn't be a Pokemon podcast if I didn't ask this question. Uh, in the Pokemon world, how could they be used to create electricity so, or power? This is uh, kind of interesting because um, I don't know how Pokemon themselves create electricity. What inside them is, is able to do it. Um, <laughs> and I also just feel like... So there there are some... I think Don can attest to this. There are some animals that, that like... Yeah, there's a bunch generate... of... Mostly fish that have like specialized muscle groups that can generate various... like amounts of okay. power um we've talked about yeah. some ants too yeah there's some ants um there's a few other ones it's mainly fish um but that's like it's all, i mean none of it really to the scale that the average pokemon uh-huh. is putting out obviously well with those fish and ants first off can it be harvested is like the main question um because i, mean, I know um, yes dead. actually okay yeah there's um i know there's um i think it's at the japanese aquarium or aquarium in japan i guess it might not be like I don't remember the name of the specific aquarium. Mm-hmm. There's an exhibit that's kind of famous. They have a couple electric eels. They have some copper wiring that runs like through their tank. And when the eels discharge is because they constantly put out a little bit of power for like navigation and to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it lights up a Christmas tree that's like next to the tank. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, they're they're a really cool animal. That's uh, that's really cool. So Don answered our question. <laughs> I was going to say that that's mostly the answer to it. Uh, I was going to just bring into it some uh, some ethics. It was just like if we were to use Pokemon for like major, major, uh, you know, power chart, like, you know, to charge different devices and to produce power. Um, would it be right, for example, to just like force a Pikachu to just like exert itself all day? Because what, what it sounds like these... Uh, Electric eels is there just, you know, kind of living in this aquarium and then, you know, they're, they're like just doing their doing their thing. Yeah. But uh, for like us to like just take a Pikachu and like lock it up in a little like glass jar like we always see on <laughs> Team Rocket in the show and stuff uh, and have it produce power that way. It's, it's just seems a little bit more unethical. Yeah, I feel like the uh, I feel like the theme of every one of those episodes regarding Pokemon generating power is uh, that it's bad. <laughs> in, in, uh, I know the same thing happened in how was it? Yeah, back in like gold and silver. There's a 
you have to knock out the electrodes that like Team Rocket's using to do some evil machine. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that, too. I don't remember why. I just remember like that was the only time you could catch an electrode and all of the, they would always explode before well, I could. <laughs> and you and I at ColossalCon during our uh, Pokenomics panel, we talked about uh, a lot of the games uh, I, I really think is a – this is a weird world where like Pokemon really represent automation anyways. I mean, because you're like, hey, Machoke, go move all these boxes for me. You know, it's not like a robot doing it. You you got all your Machoke. Hey, Machoke's getting sick gains, man. Like, it's fine. <laughs> so as long as the Pikachu is getting something out of the job, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, like, well, I think, we have like, service. You're putting the glass jar. It's less okay. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. Uh, so I have, I have. Now that we're thinking about ethics, I have one last question for you. I got, a, I got a curveball for you. Actually, mm-hmm. it's not the question I sent you. I have one more question I actually want to ask you because maybe you know. Uh, so actually, my background, uh, and our listeners know this. It previously was cognitive and neuroscience, and I know there's a lot of talk about. You know, there's always all these people who are like, I want to upload my consciousness to the internet, which, which is not a thing. Like mm-hmm. you can, co- you know, we can copy the electrical signals that your brain makes, but it will never be you as you are right this second in that computer. It will be a copy of you that thinks it's you. That's what I was going to say is uh, at that point, it, from what I know uh, and like what people talk about where it, it would just be a construction of yourself into others to an outside uh, viewer. It would be as if your consciousness was uploaded and imitated, but um, it would not be you. It's not like you get to continue living or something like that. It's just a, so, it's just a copy. So when we transfer Pokemon, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> to the professor, are we getting the same one, or are we getting a copy? Uh, oh, I I know there was um, oh god, okay, I've I don't watch a lot of Star Trek, but I remember there was an old episode that addressed how like the teleporters in Star Trek basically just disassembled you, like you're at to an atomic level, and just rebuilt you from like whatever. <laughs> So I, and like there was like a whole plot of one where the teleporter didn't disassemble the original one, so then there was just two of like Captain Kirk's or whatever. Uh-huh. So I feel like that might be how the uh, the PC works, where it like disassembles. So, Pokemon. but it doesn't answer my question then. So is it is it really them or is it a copy it assembled? Both, maybe. <laughs> well, from what we've seen visually, they show the Pokeball going through a tube, but I don't think they have this complicated tube structure going <laughs> tube, all around. A tube network every, all over the every planet. Around every region, yeah. <laughs> Just to have like little Pokeballs like vacuum sucked in and then shipped around and all, all the way from Hawaii to Japan. <laughs> I'd have the, it seems like they've got that system locked down because there's there doesn't seem to be any uh ma- major like errors. Uh, I don't know. I haven't watched the show enough, but I'm wondering if ever uh you know think- you send it to Professor Oak and it got you know mixed up and uh, you accidentally get a different Pikachu or something more drastic like you know a whole different Pokemon that somebody else had sent. But very- I'm inclined to believe that it's yeah like you you were talking about how the whole clone thing. I think it's a clone. Like it's just uh it's not the same Pokemon. It from their standpoint, which just makes the whole thing sound really unethical. <laughs> really dark and sinister. <laughs> I went there. We went to a dark place. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, let's have a, let's end with a fun question. So since you like to, you know, you are an electrical engineer, if you could create one electrical type or, or sorry, electric type or steel type Pokemon, uh, what, what would it, what would you base it off of? Uh, you know, something that you'd like to see in the games. Uh, so I guess something a little different, uh, with this 
context in mind being an electric steel type would be kind of fun to see like a guitar or like an electric guitar um probably having like the ability galvanize i think that golem has a lowland golem where uh it makes sound moves uh, but in, or no it would be not just normal moves it would be sound moves uh would be made into electric types or is that how it works no okay no, but you can make an ability I'm, like that yeah i'm thinking of uh so it'd be the electric, electric version and not, not pixelate it's an electric version of a uh, liquid voice yes that's that's it. It. yeah there we go oh. the really specific ability that like they could have just had it be like water eight yeah no <laughs> apparently not <laughs> they didn't want you to be able to use like hyper beam as a water type i guess <laughs> Because liquid voice doesn't boost it either, does it? Or does it just makes it water? Ooh, good point. I don't remember. I feel like it doesn't do any boosting. That's why no one has ever used it competitively. (laughs) Yeah. So the idea would be that it makes uh, sound moves uh, into electric type, um, or it just gets some kind of cool signature electric move. Because a guitar using Thunderbolt is okay, whatever. But I think it'd be cooler if it used some kind of sound wave that was like electrically damaging. Like clanking scales. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I could so dig- electric guitar would be cool. I could dig it. Oh, clanging scales is like a double music pun because they're musical scales. I get it. Mm-hmm. I dig it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I did that on purpose. <laughs> okay, we'll play it, yeah. <laughs> well, Alex, it was a delight. Uh, so for our listeners, can you tell them where they can find you, anyone who's interested in more of your BGC or your uh, your show? Yeah, so uh, you can follow me at Lexicon VGC, and uh, you can find our podcast at the Hyper Voice, uh, also on Twitter or just uh, wherever you find podcasts. Really, awesome! Thank you so much, Alex, for joining us, and uh, maybe we'll have you back sometime. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was very fun. Thanks right. for coming out, dude. Uh, probably, hopefully, running New Year Worlds or something. Yeah, yeah, seriously, I wish you both uh, the best. Uh, I, I actually am presenting a panel for our show that that day, so like, I wish you guys the best. I'm looking forward to it. World's going to be a fun time. Yeah, I actually never been to DC before, so it'll be a, be a nice little weekend. Uh, the whole city's a giant circle. <laughs> yep. Aren't they all? That much I know. Uh, no, most of Ohio's cities are, are, are not that well well planned. St. Petersburg is a square. And 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 Boston Boston is a spiral. <laughs> All right, that's it. <laughs> Thank you, man. We'll talk to you again. All right. Yep. Have a good one. All right. That was awesome. I seriously. I mean, we didn't talk a whole lot about Pokemon, but I feel like I learned a lot about how how this like communicates, and I think that's kind of cool too. Yeah, no, um, that was really cool. I definitely learned a lot from someone that had no real background or knowledge of um, electrical stuff, being myself. So that was uh, that was really cool. No, and and you know, and coming up with those the analogies, I can now kind of understand why competitive players who understand this stuff might be a little nervous about what it's going to look like next year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, most certainly. So thank you again, Alex. Uh, we're excited you came on. Uh, we have a few shout outs to give to CJ. Yeah, CJ. He uh, gave us money on Patreon. That's always awesome. You are my personal hero for the, uh, until someone else gives us money, I guess. Until then, you're my hero. So good job, CJ. Uh, and I think we have stuff coming your way. Um, for our patron supporters, Patreon patron. I will be putting up a poll sometime in August for some episodes this fall that you guys can pick out. 
Uh, we are planning a few more interview episodes right now with some other Pokemon community members. And once those are done, though, we'll let, we want to give you guys some voice for what we're doing for a little while. Because uh, we do appreciate the support and the help you've given us. And then we have another new shirt to announce, right? Yeah, the two scoops. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah, making our, our two scoop joke. So uh, uh, Veteran Lucas had this commissioned. It looks adorable. I've already asked my wife permission to buy, to buy one. So I, I will be getting one myself. I, it, it's cute. It's got Vanillux. It's awesome. You should get it. Yeah. Everyone should yeah. get it. Well, that and the Incineroar run is, is cute, too. If you haven't seen our Scienceville Incineroar shirt. Yes. Uh, awesome shirt. Um, that said, you know, follow us social media, Facebook, PokeScience. Uh, we're still working on the rebranding to PokeScience. It will happen sometime here in the next few months. You know, uh, Twitter, Pokemon Science, you know the drill. You can find us pretty much anywhere your podcast is. We ask if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. Uh, that's how we grow. We, you know, we appreciate the mentions. Uh, we have two conventions coming up, or three, but we'll mention two of them right now that we are going to be at in the next two months. Uh, first is MatsuriCon in Ohio. Uh, Dr. Dean Horton, who's been on the show before, a PhD biologist, and I will be doing a panel there. I think we're talking about insects and amphibians. I'm pretty certain. Uh, and then uh, you guys are going to be at uh, Dragon Con Labor Day weekend? Yes. Um, Lucas definitely is. I am a solid maybe. I want to go, but I think <laughs> on some stuff. Well, fair enough. But Veteran Lucas will be there. I know he's had some big panels there in the past so hopefully if you guys are in the area check it out and please tell your friends to come uh we will be doing plush giveaways at all of our conventions from here on in uh it's just you know it's fun we like giving back to people and you know why not why not uh that said you know thank you for tuning in and hope to see you guys again next time shoot us a message you know give us a like you guys know the drill and peace out yep have a good one